Boom, we are back. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we talk about crazy facts and stories, weird news, word origins, play a few mind games and generally have a lot of fun. I am Ratan Basu and with me as always is Joy Bhattacharya and this is Fact of the Matter. This week in main course, we will focus on espionage and spycraft. We will follow that up with some funny news items in the Believe It or Not section. We shall then slide into cute words and phrases, like always, where we talk about how the word quarantine came into being, amongst other things. And then end with Bare Naked Lies, where we ask each other one question and try and fool each other. Hello, Joy. How are you doing? I'm doing excellently. It's, it's, it's a brilliant day, just very, very humid, but that's part of the course in Delhi. That's great. So today, what are we doing? In main course, our first section, we talk about espionage and spycraft. The, the world of news today is agog with, you know, stories around the Pegasus disclosures, which have made headlines. Big names from the world of, you know, Indian and global politics have found their way into these lists. And the controversy has been raging away in a very strong fashion. That set us thinking about the world of misinformation and subterfuge, spies and, uh, you know, double agents, etc., etc. And we decided to go deep and try and find out some anecdotes about these intrepid men and women who have been involved in this very tricky and very ancient profession. And Joy today has a story. What do you have for us, Joy? Okay, I'm not going to talk about spycraft, but I'm going to talk about somebody who I always found very interesting. And uh, I just discovered something just a few weeks back. Uh, there was something released during the middle of this, just at the start of the Second World War by a man called Admiral John Godfrey, and it was known as the Trout Memo. And it had all sorts of very, very interesting ways to get information from the Germans. You know, these, he was an intelligence officer. So one of them was putting the papers on a dead body, putting papers on a dead body, and then abandoning that dead body with papers with misleading information on the coast so that the Germans pick it up, think it's somebody who's a pilot who's just died and use those papers. And that was actually finally used in something called Operation Mincemeat. Okay. Wow. The second thing that they did was even more interesting. They said, you know, they wanted, everyone wanted to get the German Enigma machine, which was only there in U-boats. And if U-boats were never captured, they would always throw away that or they were sunk. So nobody could capture an Enigma machine. So what they decided was that they'll take a plane, a captured German bomber plane, pretend to crash it near where U-boats are supposed to be and then sit out there and wait for the U-boats to rescue them. And then once they got inside, they would basically overpower the crew, take over the U-boat and find this Enigma machine. And it's I, as crazy an idea as you think. Can you imagine how crazy that is? <laughs> not, not, not half as crazy as some of the scenes and some of the ideas we see in our Bollywood blockbusters like Agent Vinod or Tiger Zinda <laughs> Hai or Tiger Kal Vapasara Hai. I mean, I mean... I'm sure if you look deeply, uh, some of our Bollywood producers or story writers could actually take inspiration from some of these fantastic stories in World War II. I mean, imagine Salman Khan uh, putting papers into a, a dead pilots or dead, uh, uh, you know, infantrymen's clothes and then using that to hoodwink a foreign adversary. But wait, that's not the end of the story. The guy who did take inspiration, the guy who's supposed to have written it, Admiral John Godfrey had a man working for him who was a lieutenant commander then. Who was him? His name was Ian Fleming. Wow. So the guy who wrote James Bond is the guy who thought all this up. And apparently, not only did he think it up, in case of the 
crashed plane he said that i'm going to be on that plane i want to be one of the crew who takes over and fights a u boat the only problem the only reason the plan was never done was they figured out that if a henkel bomber ever hit the sea it wouldn't float it would sink immediately so it wasn't that great an idea but if you look at his books and not at the films because the films are actually not really based on his books after a certain time yeah this is a far more fantastic plot than he has in any of his early books i mean this is totally crazy stuff so i was amazed that ian fleming had actually in real life proposed all this stuff so i have a i have a question for you joy was young was ian fleming um, a handsome good looking dapper man himself like the way james bond is modeled do, do you have any any inputs on that yeah yeah look he was quite a player he was a player himself he was a womanizer to put it loosely he had his estate golden eye the film is actually the name of his estate in jamaica right. and i believe for a for a while that was owned by bob marley as well so it's like two famous people owning that same place is amazing but he was quite a character he was also you know thrown out of you know asked to leave uh, public school very early crammed for the army then joined the naval intelligence so i mean if not as colorful as his character ian fleming is also quite a character by himself what do you have for us today that's, that's brilliant so i will i will move a little bit away i mean this is of course ian fleming james bond and and the the real life inspiration from stories from the second world war i will go a little further back in history and i'll talk about a lady uh, called mary bowser uh, an african american was born into slavery in a household in richmond virginia but she ended up working in the confederate white house okay to cut a long story short and she was you know before that freed from slavery as well by a by a family called van leeu family in uh, 1843 but working in the confederate white house bowser who was actually a brilliant woman with a photographic memory posed as a very slow-witted but decently com- competent servant and infiltrated the household of jefferson davis the then president now the president and his household assumed that mary bowser could neither read nor write and therefore kept important papers out in the open and what bowser would do would read these papers memorizing them use her photographic memory and then feed this to the spy network for the unionists now towards the end of the war the american civil war i think members of the household did get suspicious of bowser and she actually fled the the white house in 1865 and apparently tried to burn it down on her way out and was not successful but the good news is she survived the war and she survived enough to actually write about all this and also give lots of lectures on her wartime activity so remember i mean just imagine a you you probably are the first uh, known spy in the white house i don't know whether there's ever been anybody after that and then you actually after the war is over do a lecture tour and tell people you know what this is what i did those guys thought i was illiterate and i used that brilliantly and hoodwinked them for many many years so i thought that was a very very nice anecdote and a very interesting uh, spotlight on a lady spy and you know we always talk about you know uh, other than a few instances of course mata hari being at the head of them uh, other than a few instances mostly the global focus on spies is the uh, james bonds the kim philbys uh, from chanakya to you know you you go back in history to uh, all these but hey there were some ladies who actually yeah i mean mata hari might have led yeah, the yeah. way but there are some excellent ladies who actually did the same work quietly and efficiently 
in fact there's there's one on the other side as well there's this woman again very famous lady called bell boyd so bell boyd basically she did was a whole the, lot of things but the, she was on the confederate, confederate. side she's the other side yeah she was on the confederate side yes yeah. so she ran a spy ring there and she basically most of the information she used to have she used to have in her skirts okay because voluminous women used to wear skirts so men couldn't really search them and the other thing she used to do and that's the most amazing thing she used to carry you know some coded messages in her intricate hairdo there was a purse inside her hairdo in which she would carry intricate messages so it's like amazing both sides i think the confederate civil war that war between the union sympathizers and the confederates in terms of spycraft is one of the most fascinating wars in history so i have heard of bell boyd and uh, you know it's interesting you mentioned because she's obviously from the other side and apparently she was also very popular uh, after the uh, war got over and she would speak to the press the media she was you know regularly arrested apparently from what i remember she eventually moved to england where she actually wrote a book about her spy related exploits like a memoirs and then you know she tried her hand at acting uh, and you know she died on stage Uh, so it's incredible i mean you know bell boyd i mean who That's would it. imagine that somebody would have so many facets and so much of talent yeah they, i mean that's the one thing you know because people in those times you didn't they it was the area of, it was a time of generalists so people would do a lot they would write books they would you know be journalists they would also be you know generals that go to war they do a whole lot of things and that's something i really enjoy when people do more than one thing well and and know. guess and guess what um she was nicknamed by the press bell boy who was so so popular she was nicknamed by the, the the press called her cleopatra of the secession and also the siren of the shenandoah amongst other things so <laughs> i thought that was i like the siren of the shenandoah the, the siren, siren of the shenandoah sounds good and this is like high profile espionage i mean this what i find interesting is you know spies are supposed to in real life be like george smiley you know the john lecaris spy you know quiet yeah. with acidity a slightly overweight tummy uh, always worried <laughs> balding and that's a real life spy you are in the background you're not but look at these people i mean they are like out in the open i mean mary bowser bell boyd these people these people are like going out to the media acting talking about their exploits probably helping the screenwriter write a few interesting lines in in one of their plays or movies unbelievable well that brings us back to a sobering thought if pegasus were listening into this joy do you think we would be in trouble or do you think it would just add some innocent uh you know uh, extra bits to the global picture uh, of what spycraft actually uh, just give just give me a couple of minutes because there was just a knock at my door <laughs> nice knowing you <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the pizza delivery boy knowing your proclivity <laughs> for all things italian joy um but we leave it at that and we'll move seamlessly into the next section which is believe it or not where today we are going to try and share some interesting news items from the world at large Welcome back. So, in our next section, we do what we always do. We try and discover sensational news items. And today, who else to kick it off but our resident 
news editor in quotes, Joy Bhattacharya. Joy, what are you going to share today? True, true stuff or some really, really unbelievable materials? No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not into unbelievable material. This is really, again, we've been talking about versatile women. And I think this is just something I'm carrying on and that this is the admission season. Of course, a lot of examinations have not been held this year. But, you know, till last year, you had still had board examination or board results deciding how people got into college. So one of the better known colleges in Calcutta is named Ashutosh College and quite a few famous people have come from there. So last year for their English department, for the English department test, the person who topped the test was a certain Sunny Leon. Yes, the same Sunny Leon. Yeah, she topped I, the test. I always knew she was a hardworking student, Joy. I don't know what you think, but, you know, right from day one, since she came into the limelight, I knew deep inside there was a strong, hardworking, studious girl trying to fight out against, yes. you know, the, the, the entire hoo-ha which happens around her on the world. This is, uh, I, this is absolutely believable. I mean, Sunny... No, no, absolutely. And she, and she took it very well because she, after that, she immediately tweeted when this result was put out and somebody tagged her. She said, see you all in college next semester. Hope you are in my class. That's what she put out there. And I know that despite everything that was happening, everyone who got admission in Ashutosh College was dying to attend classes. I have never seen a batch more eager to attend classes. Unfortunately, she didn't really end up attending classes, but uh, Sunny Leon has topped the Ashutosh College English Department. So I'm waiting who's going to top it this year. I'm hoping for a few surprises in that admission list. I have a feeling it could be Mia Khalifa, if I'm not mistaken. I won't be surprised now if it is Mia Khalifa, by the way. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've reached, uh, by the way, um, quite a rarefied level of atmosphere today in this show, because we're probably the first podcast ever in in audio history to talk about Sunny Leone's educational background. I think I can probably make a bet on that. I, I don't think people have focused on that. But hey, Sunny, well done. Lovely answer back after this came out, like you said. And you know what? Go for it. English honors today. Go for a master's. Go for a PhD. We will be behind you. Fact of the matter or matter of fact doesn't matter. We are behind you. My story is slightly different, which I heard while I was on my, um, you know, morning constitutional walk. And I heard this in a very, very interesting uh, podcast called Andar Ki Baat by a stand-up comic, very, very uh, you know, popular stand-up comic called Amit Tandon. And he was talking about his, you know, in his, uh, in his normal life outside of stand-up comedy, he actually worked. Uh, as a you know, as a recruiter, and had his own recruiting agency, and he had actually uh, invited a few other fellow uh, recruiters to come and discuss with him all the funny elements which go when they actually get into the business of recruiting people. Now, obviously, India's uh, information technology industry is very well known. Uh, the IT industry employs a, a shit ton of people uh, every year, and there are quite a few agencies who actually are focused on just delivering on you know all these uh, targets and which which are set for them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there are many funny stories, but the one which uh, came to my attention and which I want to uh, share. And a big shout out to Amit also for, for sharing this with us, with all of us, um, is the fact that many recruiters today in India, while they get a lot of biodatas or CVs of potential uh, candidates uh, on, let's say, from 
websites which are focused on jobs like a knockree.com or a monster.com, like a job website. What they also do is cross-check points mentioned in these biodatas from wedding websites like shadi.com. And the reason is they have discovered after painstaking research and after suffering that when a man, the same man who's applying for a job and is also putting up his CV in a wedding website to actually get a life partner, he's more prone to be truthful on the wedding site as opposed to the job website. And I found this incredibly funny. And apparently the truth is borne out because they have actually caught a lot of lies and you know alternative facts, if we can refer to it as that, in their job CVs by cross-checking it with what they have reported in their wedding websites. So Joy, keep this in so, mind, you know, <laughs> if you are... But, but I want to just tell you in India, that's one advantage Indian HR people have because in America, you're not going to have people put out stuff on a, for an arranged marriage site. So, I mean, that's a one advantage Indian recruiters have. The chances of finding, you know, matches on shadi.com or all these wedding sites is far more than you'd find anywhere. What they could do, I think, in America is they could probably check out your Tinder listing, but I don't think that CVs normally make their appearance on Tinder listing. Not the kind of CVs I agree. we know about, definitely. And secondly, uh, again, shout out to Amit Tandon. Do you realize that basically not only are you not only are we giving him publicity, we are actually cannibalizing our own podcast by promoting his podcast. I mean, just I want you to want you to put it out there so that you realize what you're doing. Well, this is how we are different, right, Joy? And, and there's no harm in doing it. I just go with the story. I was laughing my guts out, to be very frank. And I thought we should share this with our audience. So that, that was what I had. And before we take a quick break, this is the time to remind all our listeners that we are now available. Fact of the Matter is now available on Spotify and also on Apple Podcasts. So please go and follow our show on both these platforms. They're also available on a ton of other platforms. You can find our main website on Anchor FM. Again, go and check or search for Fact of the Matter. Uh, please give us your feedback. Please come back to us with any suggestions, any topics, and we'll be very, very happy to answer them and try and feature them in our forthcoming episodes. We also have a brand new email address. You can write to us at Fact of the Matter India at gmail.com like always not only for answering our quiz questions which will come at the end of this episode but also if you have any suggestions we already are seeing a lot of people writing in we are very very happy at that and uh, joy and i try to respond to each and every one of them so keep these thoughts flowing ladies and gentlemen and we shall see you after a very very quick break Hello and welcome back. We move to our next section where, as always, we are going to go through what we call cute words and phrases. I call cute words and phrases. Joy absolutely hates that. And we are still waiting for Joy to come up with an alternate and exciting title. But till you don't, we'll carry on with that. But over to you, Joy. What do you have for us this week? 
cute words and phrases not especially given the what i'm going to talk about today cute may not be the right word you know we've be all been talking about covid-19 and its impact and a lot of people have referred to it as a disease from a particular country they've called it you know the chinese flu and stuff like that mm-hmm. so where does it come from it comes from really in 1918 1919 that's almost exactly 100 years ago the spanish flu which devastated the world more than from they say 20 million to 100 million people died because remember reportage in those days was very very inaccurate say so they say almost 100 million people could have died of that now the story is why is it called a spanish flu the first cases have been found in the us the second set of cases were found in europe spain came much later the story is that the first world war was on or in those days the great war because you know there was no second world war to call this the first war and what happened was that us and british french all these newspapers were censored for bad news you know the last thing you want the people the soldiers to know or the press to know is that large number of soldiers and civilians are dying of flu the only country that was free and neutral at the time whose papers were not being censored was spain so the only reports of the spanish flu basically came out in papers in spanish and that's how it became known as the spanish flu spain is one of the least impacted and definitely not the source of the flu so it's amazing how names happen to things they call it the spanish flu I mean, it had nothing to do with the spain i i only have to say what was the spanish government doing i mean why didn't they like in you know in today's day and age for example the chinese very rightfully are saying that you can't call it the chinese virus which you know donald trump happily did all all through his uh, tenure um you are now having uh, the some latest variants being called the indian variant now again correctly or uh, incorrectly i don't think you know you should name it after regions or countries because it can have social ramifications of a different sort but you know at the at the very base of it i think in this case if i was part of the spanish information and broadcasting ministry i would have actually uh, gone uh, you know hammer and tongs at this and say excuse no, me but you might turn around and say in the middle of a war this is probably the more least important thing to focus on also in those days they didn't know you see the papers picked it up in america and they said oh this is a spanish flu happening out there so the spanish didn't even know that thanks to being honest about their reporting this disease came to be known as spanish flu i'll oh. tell you why this happened joy there was no internet or social media at that time there was no Absolutely. internet and social media so by the time the news probably filtered back into spain or whatever you know things had already moved on people had moved on news had moved on imagine in today's day and age if something like this there'll be 50 memes coming out of it counter memes happening yeah 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 uh, it's 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 but but what an incredible story yeah everybody quietly yeah, calls yeah. it the spanish flu of 1918 or whatever and then you know millions mm. died and so on and so forth without even taking a step back and trying to go to the root of it yeah yeah spanish flu for you get you get basically you get hit for honesty which i find amazing no the other word i wanted to talk about is a word called quarantine or quarantine okay and i was wondering you know it's a very common word we are all used to quarantine being put in quarantine quarantine basically comes from the italian word quarantena which basically it's venetian okay 40 okay. days so during the black death there's that's a plague going around 14th century europe and whole countries are being completely devastated you know that plague just the black death was something that is probably before the spanish flu the single most important you know the biggest killer of people in human history Right. And at that time the ships would come in they were not allowed if they were infected they would stay on board 
for 40 days. So whoever died, died. That was a period in which you had to remain where uninfected people were kept away from infected people for at least 40 days. So quarantine literally means quarantina 40 days. That's where it comes from. Well, that's very interesting, Joy, because I have a quarantine story myself. And this, this is from India. And this is from Hyderabad, India. There is a place in Hyderabad where you have a, called Koranti, where you have a very famous fever hospital. Now, this hospital is known for uh, communicable diseases or infectious diseases. And people come from all over uh, Hyderabad, Telangana, nearby areas uh, to get, uh, you know, uh, admitted and then, you know, find their medical help. Now, this place has been called Koranti for a very long time from the word quarantine, which was initially the reason why people would come here if you have infectious disease. And uh, that's how, very interestingly, the name still stands today. It's probably a Urdu or Telugu uh, corruption of the word quarantine. That's what I feel. But this is, this is a very yeah. interesting uh, uh, yeah. anecdote about quarantine. And let me say... This story was told to me by none other than Harsha Bhogle, uh, who spent uh, a lot of time in his young young days uh, in Hyderabad. And a big shout out to Harsha. Thank you so much for giving us this uh, very interesting tidbit. I think Koranti, he, he spoke about it being, I think it was a, there's a bus stop called Koranti, which is a well-known bus stop. So you get off at the Koranti bus stop and Koranti comes from quarantine, which comes from fever. It's yeah. fantastic how history is between us all the time. It's all apparently history is all around us. And apparently, the fever hospital today is called the Sir. It's named after Sir Ronald Ross, the man uh, who worked on malaria and was awarded the Nobel Prize in medicine. Uh, you know, so that's another interesting uh, <laughs> tidbit which I can add on. But so much for quarantine. That was, I think, uh, quite an interesting bit. We moved from Spanish influenza right into quarantine. But now comes a more interesting section where we have to, both Joy and I, quarantine our minds and be prepared for the big, big face-off. We go into Bare Naked Lies, where we shall now ask each other questions, one question, and try and fool each other. This is where things get real. This is where the gloves are off. We are not friends anymore. Joy, hit me with your question. Okay, my question, and I'm watching your hand to see that you're not going to be able to Google anything. Show me your hands. Show me your hands. Okay, I can see your hands now. I can yes. see your hands now. Yes. Okay, guys, you can't see him, but I can see his hands. He's not Googling. Here's my question. Arthur Conan Doyle, the man who wrote the Sherlock Holmes stories, also was one of the most fervent proponents of fairies. And there was a picture of fairies which he claimed was true. And he went around the world saying, look, this is the evidence that fairies really exist. Sherlock, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle believed in fairies. That's, my, that's what I'm putting out there. Arthur Conan Doyle and fairies. Oh, my God. I would say false joy. You're trying to pull a fast one on me. I would say... <laughs> Got you finally, the Cottingley fairies. Five photographs taken Seriously? by, a, yes, a 16-year-old girl and a nine-year-old girl. And Sherlock Holmes, the man, sorry, Arthur Conander, the man who discovered, he was so credulous. And right. you can't believe, like, unlike his detective, he turned on and said, this is finally evidence that fairies exist. He published them in the Strand magazine saying that, look, psychic phenomena exist, fairies exist. And you go and see the pictures now, you can make out that this is clearly staged. But he fell for it. Unbelievable. 
unbelievable. Well, I have to now think of something to come back very hard at you. And mine is from, it's, it's linked, I would say, to our initial main course discussion. This is my fact. And I want you to tell me whether it's true or false. A 16th century noblewoman and a very well-known uh, uh, aristocrat, Catherine de' Medici, as the leader of her very own spy ring called L'Escadron Volante, which translated means the Flying Squadron, created probably one of the world's most important honey trap organizations by recruiting beautiful women to form sexual liaisons with powerful men at court. The idea was to learn the men's secrets and pass them on to Catherine, who would then use it to serve the Medici purpose overall. Catherine de Medici, she, flying squadron, honey trap. Is this true or false? Okay, this time I'm going to think of you're being honest with me. Let me go with true for once. Well, you got me. That's a clear <laughs> two-nil sweep this time, Joy. That's it. You are absolutely right. It's Catherine But it Medici. took me three episodes to win one. It took me, no, four episodes to win one. This is the first one I've actually won over you in four times. So, yeah, I was just lucky this time. Well, I'll get you next time. I can promise you that. But, uh, yes, Catherine Di Medici, just to wrap up that, did start uh, a flying squadron. I, I, flying squadron sends me, uh, you know, thinking in extremely dangerous areas, but which we shall not refer to. But uh, yes, I mean, it's not the world's first honey trap. That was uh, the greater Chanakya Sangathan, probably, or whatever it was called in those <laughs> days, in the days of Chandragupta Maurya. But uh, it, it definitely was uh, incredible, incredible attempt to get messages out of people. And we have been talking of very, very uh, different ways of how you know, people used to get their messages across. And this is another way of, of getting your messages out. So that brings us to the end of uh, Bare Naked Lies. Uh, Joy, you win this time. Yes, grudgingly, I accept and pass on the mace, the winner's mace to you uh, with the firm hope and belief that next week I shall come back stronger and try and beat you. But uh, we shall now move into our listener section. Something for the listeners. Last week, we had asked a question. Joy had asked a question. Joy, give us the answer and the question once again. Okay. The question basically was that what started in Yokohama in the 1870s after a famous Japanese clan collapsed and then later came to India and was first popular in India in the hill stations before spreading to the rest of the country. And this is the rickshaw. This is the rickshaw, and the rickshaw was actually first used in Shimla. You know, the hill stations, older people found it difficult to go up. That's where it was first used before coming to the plains and Calcutta. So that was the question last year and uh, last episode. And do you have a winner for us, Satin? Yes. Uh, Tapas Tiwari comes onto the honors board for the second week in succession. Well done, Tapas. You got it correct. And we have another correct answer, another new entrant to the leaderboard. Ramesh Mohorana. So congratulations, Ramesh and Tapas. Well done. You were correct. And uh, let's see if you both and every other listener, whether you guys can get this new question for this episode coming up from Joy. Okay. Today's question, this week's question, who or what, according to findings released in the British magazine, New Scientist, was 83% happy, 9% disgusted, 6% fearful, 
and 2% angry. Who or what was 83% happy, 9% disgusted, 6% fearful, and 2% angry? Well, that was a fantastic question. And Joy, if I might say, that reminds me, um, all these percentage points reminds me of my one of my great uncles, actually, who, if I remember correctly, shared all these attributes which you mentioned, especially whenever I asked him for pocket money. But anyways, we'll not talk about that. Um, that brings us to the end of this episode. And before we leave you, we would like to once again ask you to follow us on Spotify, follow us on Apple Podcasts. Remember, we are uh, trying our level best to make sure that Joy and I contribute to India's first efforts of putting a civilian into space. We're sharing this extremely confidential piece of news in line with our focus on you know, subterfuge and misinformation. And therefore, with every single bit of help you give us by following us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, we contribute to that pause. So onwards and upwards and see you soon. But before we leave, a small tidbit. Next week, we have a special. We are going to deviate from our normal episode and we are going to come back with something very good and very interesting and very exciting for you. So till then, have a lovely week from Joy and I. Goodbye.